It's the podcast. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the show, Coastal Noise. This episode just got done recording it, actually. Um, just saw Ben out. This was a really cool conversation. Ben Simmons is the owner of Nature's Gourmet Farm. And I've been uh, I've been doing business with Ben for probably over six months now. And basically, he's running a sustainable farm in Petal, Mississippi, and he services the local area and he grows, uh, grows, I should say, um, he produces grass fed beef, you know, grass fed cows, grass fed, grass fed and finished does chickens pasteurized, you know, just sustainable living, working the land, how it used to be done. I'll let him go into all the details of it. He's a very knowledged guy. He has uh, gone to great lengths to learn about his trade. These other farms that we talk about in the in the states, which I'll put in the show notes on coastalnoise.com, all of the different farms, and we'll put the names of the guys that been referenced in some books and documentaries on Netflix. I mean, it was just a wealth of information. And the reason me and Ben wanted to get together and do this, you know, and I asked him particularly to to come and do this is because Ben's got a long history, a career with the military. And, you know, I could, I recognized from talking to him whenever I'd go do these pickups, these exchanges we would have. And, you know, I could gather that he was a, a sharp guy and I always felt like I was kind of scratching the surface about what he knew and, and the business and the politics and passion for wanting people to be healthy and, and that being a big passion for me as well. It just seemed like a, it would be a great idea to have him come in and talk more about what it is he does and what his mission is. And that's exactly what we did. And, you know, if you've never tried Nature's Gourmet Farm, we're going to do a giveaway for this episode. Ben is going to give away one of his his variety packages from his website that you can go see on Nature's Gourmet Farm. You go there, go to the shop icon, go down to beef variety share number 10, and this is what the package deal we're going to give away in this episode. So it's got it's got 2 to 3 steaks which can include T-bone rib or sirloin it's got two or three roasts it'll be a shoulder a tip bottom round and then five packages of 90 to 10 lean ground grass-fed beef so if you're somebody who's never tried products like this from a local farm now's your chance to try it for free so how do you get it go to facebook where we've got the post shared for this episode, any, you know, announcement for this Coastal Noise episode with Ben with Nature Gourmet Farm. If you see the post, it'll have the details there uh, with the giveaway. Just share the post, like the post, and do those two things. And at at the end of the giveaway period, select a winner. We'll get you hooked up with Ben. Ben will supply you with a beef variety share number 10. So, again, you'll like and share the post. If you go to the show notes on coastalnoise.com on the podcast page, I'll have some links to take you there and detail it and all that good stuff. So listen to this episode, hear the wealth of knowledge we've got, you know, from this kind of lifestyle, this type of business, get inspired, 
get inspired to eat healthy, to change the local dynamics of how we source our food and and eat well. Seriously, I'm, I'm really glad that there are guys like Ben out there who are doing this kind of work. I think it's really awesome. So we'll go ahead and get into the podcast. Don't forget, if you want to hear more episodes, go to CoastalNoise.com, go to the podcast page. You can subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and just hit the subscribe button. You'll get all the future episodes. They're always free, always have been, always will be. You can even set up auto downloads so that the new one goes straight to your device. Other future episodes we got coming up. I'm in talks with some former employees of Jim Pinkston. Of course, me and Jim did our our podcast recording a year ago, and then of course he passed shortly thereafter. And I've since started communicating with two of the guys he used to work with, Ryan Ebos and David Knorr, who I'm who I'm actually taking guitar lessons, formal guitar lessons from currently. And um, we've talked about it, talked about that podcast, and I thought, you know, it being coming to a year anniversary of, of, of that time period, uh, that it would be really cool to have a memorial kind of podcast for Jim and explore more of the areas of his life, hear more of the stories that, you know, I thought I was going to hear more of now, that, you know, with Jim retiring. And so... You know, we're going to have them on and I think another guest probably have about four of us here and we'll just talk all kinds of stuff. We'll talk about Jim. We'll talk about music. We'll talk about the industry. We'll, we'll just chat. It'll be a really, really good time. Another podcast coming down the pipe is with another podcast we got scheduled for next week. I think, uh, bring, bring, bring. That's the sound of my calendar popping up. I think we're going to do it on the 21st next week is with Chris Gillespie, which he's been on the show twice before. He's a stand-up comedian from Arizona, and he's bringing a buddy with him, and they're going to do a show down here. They're going to do a show at the Juke Joint uh, on the 22nd. So we're going to, I think we're going to live record that show. I don't know where, like Facebook maybe, or, or Instagram. I got to look into that stuff, but, but we're going to do it, and it's going to be great. To get ready for that. So yeah, that's a, that's enough about the future. Let's talk about now. Now, Ben Simmons, Nature's Gourmet Farm. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Check them out. Give them a look into really great work they're doing out there. And I uh, hope you learned something like I did from this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy it. Start us recording right now. And uh, let me get a pick real quick before I forget. Just we may use it, we may not. Um, I kind of like the idea. I used a, a picture of you or, earlier to promote the show with with cows and stuff like that. And, oh, okay, cool. You know, that's always a stronger image. I think to have you know an idea of what the person is about. You know, and you see a bunch of cows on open land. You know what that guy's doing? Um, having fun. Yeah, having fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, if if we could just to wrap up our conversation on India, because that's really cool that that you've been there. And, um, you know, talking about this book that I'm wrapping up on, you, you were saying about how, you know, crazy. When was the last year that you were there? Probably 04. 04. 04 and 05 time frame. Yeah. I was and, working for a, uh, I was director of global sourcing for a candle manufacturer of all things. Mm-hmm. And I was spending a lot of time in Asia, particularly China. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. One of the things I learned out, out of that trip is that people are people wherever you go. Yeah. There's good and there's bad. And it was funny, 
the northern Chinese were jealous or envious of the southern Chinese because that's where a lot of the the economic growth and stuff really started and was just amazing how much was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the, the most fantastic city I've ever been in was Shanghai. Really? Yeah, it's a, it is unbelievable yeah. city, especially when you consider that in like 1939, the Japanese almost wiped it off the earth. Mm-hmm. But it is amazing, amazing place. And in India, what was the traffic like at that time? Did people were a lot of people owning cars yet? Because I, I feel like uh, that that's just been a recent development where, like the middle class, it was very like now now it's very prominent. The middle class seems to have cars. And... Yeah, I would say that's probably a more recent thing since I've been there. Yeah, there was yeah. a lot of lot of bus traffic, a lot mm-hmm. of walking. Uh, I mean, obviously there was cars because there was there's a wealthy people there. Mm-hmm. you know but the majority i was by far the majority are very very poor yeah yeah and you were talking about all the crazy different things that happened there when i was there they had um just had their like equivalent of the new years or whatever and they were doing their ad there and just their their infrastructure still i mean the pollution was off the un's like index for yeah. you know yeah. of where it should be uh just from a combination of everything i was there for the Trump Clinton election. It was November of 2016. So I was there. That was my second or third day that I was there. That was going on. So that was crazy to see. And then their prime minister overnight removed the 501,000 rupee notes in the Indian currency, which makes up like, I can't remember the number exactly, but like the majority, the vast majority of what most people carry as far as their currency, because they were trying to combat black money and um, get people to reinvest it in the banking system. Because people were kind of keeping it under their mattress, you know. So they were they were, <laughs> they were trying to stimulate the economy. So they wanted everybody, the locals, to bring all those notes in so they could tax them on it, and then give them new money to combat the black money. And they did it overnight, and they shut down all the banks, they shut down all the ATMs, so they they could figure it out. They could they could make new money, and they could all this kind of stuff. So, you know, all these foreigners that I met, a lot of them who were there for the first time as well, from. Amsterdam and Australia and all these places they were all, we were all undertaking the same uh you know hardships of what the money situation was developing so it's it's a wild place you don't know you don't know quite after I got done with that I thought you know my next as far as next travels it was like I just want to see more of this country now that I appreciate it that much more you have a vast uh you know change of how you you see things well you you mentioned uh possibly san diego and it's a really really nice place Mm -hmm. um i was able to take my family on vacation there one time my oldest son uh liked the san diego zoo so that's the main reason we went was to see the the san diego zoo and um uh, aviation museum and we stayed at uh miramar Mm -hmm. naval air station and um it was it was it's a really nice place the weather was wonderful um Yes, especially when you're close to the coast, the weather is more consistent. It's cool. When you start moving inland, then it gets more desert-like. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, it's, it's like Mediterranean weather out yeah. there on the right along it. Yeah. Did you ever see the the fleets come in when they? We went to the. Uh, we we didn't not necessarily coming in, but we did see the fleets. Mm-hmm. Actually, the second largest national cemetery is in San Diego. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Veteran yeah. Cemetery. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, I've never been to any part of California. Everybody I meet from California tells me I would love it out there. So, 
we're um you know i'm part of the grass-fed exchange conference mm-hmm. and on, on the board of directors for that and uh this year our 10th conference is in sandy um south dakota which is where it started at and then in 2019 it's going to be in northern california and uh looking forward to to that one uh understands a lot of a lot of uh farms doing what i do mm-hmm. uh, in northern california and just and i saw uh, some friends of ours that's out of indiana they went and saw a, a, a farm and they had like twelve thousand hens and one of the things that out on pasture and one of the things that really impressed me is that their weather there is almost the same year round mm. there's hardly a, a degree difference regardless of the time of year that's nice yeah yeah, when it's like seventy five degrees. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Yeah, so uh, this is we've been looking forward to this conversation because you know we both you and I both have uh, military experience. You know, you know I've just kind of worked on military installation. Of course, you've had a whole career out of military. Um, so I kind of I think we you know both come from uh, a place of you know organization and and material. And you sent me you know those slideshows about you know everything on talking points. But then also every time that we ever, uh, you know, I, I come and do uh, uh, a pickup from mm-hmm. you, you know, we have these nice little casual exchanges. I thought this would be really cool because we could have like a blending of both here. So starting off, you know, can you tell us a little bit about your background, maybe a little bit about your career and, and how you transition into what you're doing now with Nature Gourmet Farm? Sure. Um, be glad to. We, I, I grew up, finished high school in 75 and 76. I went into the Air Force as an E-1. And um, they sent me to upstate New York. I got there in January of 77. I was like um, 20 miles from the Canadian border, right on Lake Placid, or uh, Champagne, Lake Champlain. And um, it was a uh, difficult back when it was SAC, TAC, and MAC. And uh, working for SAC was a challenge. But um, you know, and I ended up uh, staying there about two and a half years, and went into uh, 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 Palace Chase program came and uh, so I can go back and go to college and went in the reserves and uh, did that finished that up in um, 79 no I'm sorry uh, 82 and then um, started to work and got married and then I went back in the Army Guard and, to get my commission mm-hmm. and then um, uh, came into Air Guard in, in Gulfport, and um, did some North Carolina Guard when we moved up there, and then came back to Mississippi when my dad passed away, and retired in 2015 as a uh, colonel. And uh, real, real blessed to have 36 years, and it's been it was a good experience. Got to do a lot and see a lot with that, uh, and being guard that was just my part time. Uh, course it got to where it was a lot more than part-time especially uh, after uh, 2001 and uh, so there was a lot of lot of lot of activity and then my full-time job was uh, director of global sourcing uh, and that got me an opportunity to do travel all the way around the world and uh, meet a lot of really neat people kind of what got me thinking about the farm and the grass-fed beef was actually in Monterey, Mexico, uh, a farm, uh, a, a business, 
And they took us out to eat at a really nice restaurant, steak restaurant. And they brought a, probably about three and a half foot diameter platter full of beef, fresh beef cuts. And uh, so you could pick what you wanted. And uh, the best beef I ever had came off that platter. And uh, I asked them about it. And they said it was grass-fed beef from Argentina. And uh, so we're, we went, when my dad passed away, Actually, before he passed away, I was talking to him about uh, how can we start moving the farm in that direction. We were going to move back from North Carolina uh, in 2010, and then uh, uh, he passed away in 09, so it kind of accelerated our timeline. And uh, you know, we've been working to tro- toward that direction uh, uh, since then. And we're—I think we're getting—we're pretty close to being as high quality as what I I have from Argentina. Wow. It's really good. Wow. We've learned a lot. Um, There's a guy that wrote a book called Steak, and he said uh, basically you need to have English bread, predominantly English bread uh, cows, and you need to have diverse forage base, and you need to rotate them. And uh, they need to have an age age on them. And uh, the age piece is what, we were really missing, but after we started letting them get up uh, and be finished on grass and not be just grass-fed, it's made a tremendous difference. Mm-hmm. You think that when they get older that they'd be tougher, but that's not the case. So did you have a lot of experience just doing like the what, what I'll call conventional farming um, practices before you transition to this? I mean, because it, it's a whole... You got to have a whole process of renewing, and the and the land has to regenerate, and all this kind of stuff. Which, you know, I'd love to hear more about as well. Yeah, it, that is an ongoing process. You know, you, it's not something I would consider is a destination. It's, it's a journey. I don't think you'll ever get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've done a lot, and, and we've made some mistakes, uh, especially early on. Uh, but we've, I. You know, our number one focus is to do what's best for the land and to regenerate the soil. Uh, the soil was created to have biology in it that will basically take the nitrogen out of the atmosphere and apply it to the soil. And, it, you know, you, our, our objective is to build carbon. You know, you think about carbon as a bad thing, but carbon is a, not a bad thing. It is actually a the number one food source for the soil biology that's supposed to be in your soil. But most of the places today have destroyed the biology through tillage, and also they've released that carbon. And those are two big detriments, and it also destroys the soil structure. So without the tillage, adding the carbon back, uh, planting a very diverse forage base, not everything the cows is going to eat, but it actually... Some of those things help grow the soil and feed the biology and builds the, the, uh, the structure of the soil back. The soil ought to look like cottage cheese. And too much today, it looks more like flour, and it's real packy uh, instead of uh, where it would hold moisture, absorb moisture, and give air for the biology that should be there. Mm. And it, it takes it takes it takes time. It's not as it's not hundreds of years like what some people like you to think. The farm I went to in uh, North Dakota, uh, Gabe Brown's ranch. You can read a lot about Gabe. You can see a lot of videos on YouTube 
of his presentations. But he converted his organic matter, which is a, just a one piece, but it's a good good indication of how healthy your soil is, from less than 2% to above 8%. And he stopped tillage. He started planting diverse forages. Um, he always kept a living root as long as possible. He uh, kept the soil covered. In other words, it was never a bare soil. And he had the animal impact of grazing. And those five things, he converted uh, his soil. Um, you know, and this is a, an environment where he gets less than 16 inches of annual rainfall a year. And 232 days on average is below freezing. So imagine what we should be able to do in South Mississippi. He also feeds less than 75 days of hay a year. In Mississippi, the average farm feeds 135 days. We focus way too much on cutting and grazing, cutting and feeding hay versus improving the soil and and having living roots and living plants for that animal to eat. Mm. So that's what you mean by living root. He always have living roots, so he yep. always have some for, sort of... Some forage. Yep. Some forage. Yeah. Okay. And was there a particular source of 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 education that you went to initially to help you with this transition or did you just start gobbling up whatever probably, you could? Probably the first first part was uh, a magazine published in Mississippi actually called The Stockman Grass Farmer. And in there was a fellow by the name of Joel Soliton who owns Polyface Farms up in Virginia. And in July of 2011, he had a field day at his farm. Uh, Soliton is, uh, his farm and him has been in a lot of of your documentaries like Food Inc. and there's just a bunch of them that he's been highlighted in because he's he's out there. Mm-hmm. He is he is probably as good a marketer as he is a farmer. And um, his farm is Polyface Farms, multifaceted, faceted. And so we Beth and I went to his farm in Virginia and saw firsthand. This was after reading uh, uh, probably three or four of his books at that time, and uh, you know. Ironically, you know, what he said in the book is exactly what we saw on the farm. Uh, and, you know, from there I was introduced to the, the grass-fed exchange. And um, that's when I met Gabe Brown at his farm. And we've been to other farms like uh, Seven Sons up in Indiana, White Oak Pastures in uh, southwest Georgia, um, uh, Real Farm Foods that's in south-central Missouri, um, gosh, there's went to quite a few, quite a few different farms. So you put your work in. You, oh, you actually went on site and on saw site. how people who are actually doing this sustainably are doing successful. It. One of the, and through all of this, I came up with like four criteria that I, you know, if they need to own the land, they need to own the animal, they need to put their own resources toward what they're doing, their operation. And they need to be doing it successfully. And that'll weed out about 95% of the information out there. Because there's a lot of information when you start getting, you know, start, you know, looking at it. But most of those people don't own the land. They don't own any animals. They're not using their money to, to write about what they're uh, talking about, trying to get you to do and follow. So, and they're not doing it successfully. So, you know, every one of those farms I mentioned 
are very successful. The Seven Sons Farm, for example, uh, when those boys were growing up, their dad's farm was is 550 acres, and they were a hog confinement farm. They grew their grain or the feed that they would use to feed those pigs, and Blaine would tell me that they didn't know from year to year whether they were going to have any money left or not. They had some health issues in the family, and they started looking at how they could convert and what, what could they do better or different. And today, they're a very successful um, marketer of a lot of different products. And that farm, instead of supporting just one family, now supports 11 families. Same size, same 550 acres. But it just, and part of that kind of parallels with part of the discussion I like to get out there too is, in 1974, then-Secretary of Ag uh, Earl Butts said he wanted to put a six-letter word back in farming called profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, and he was very adamant, got to make put profit back in. Well, you look at the USDA chart for 1974, and the farmer's percent of the food dollar at retail was about 36%. Today, actually... In 2015, which is the latest data I've seen, it was 15.6%. It's less than half. It's gone. And, and Butts was uh, credited with commercializing agriculture, as we know it today. Hmm. Very big detrimental. That's why there's hardly any, any new people wanting to farm. There's nobody wants to do it because there's not enough profit for the risk. Mm-hmm. And there is a, the st- a system is now hugely established where guys don't have their land. They're not, they're not their animals. I and I don't know, you know, the logistics behind it, but from, from what I've heard, I think it's, you know, like corporations, it's kind of like give you the resources and it's kind of like a contractual agreement of some well, like sort. With the, like with the chicken farmers. Okay. The, the farmer who is actually called a grower because he does not own the animal or the feed. He owns the debt for the chicken houses, which is, I think five of them is like a one and a quarter million dollars. Seemed like what somebody told me. And, you know, he owns the land that those houses are on. Uh, you know, he has, he has a protocol that the, the processor, like a Sanderson or Tyson, has tells them they have to follow and uh but he you know he owns no he does not own the animal Mm. and you know he basically grows that animal that animal comes to him and he grows it and then they come and pick it up and it keeps the process very distant from people the average consumer who don't realize that the machine is that big it's that out of touch it's, and it's unhealthy. It's very out of touch. They, you know, there's there's getting to be more and more documentaries on food on Netflix, for example. Um, Beth and I wrote, well, saw one called Rotten. This was back in early March. If you've not seen it, it's a six part documentary, and one of them is on chicken. And um, it's funny. Right after I saw that. Farm Bureau and their country 
magazine, uh, one of the uh, folks in there named Andy Brown wrote an article about uh, Netflix documentaries and how it does not accurately portray the agriculture for Mississippi. Well, he made a lot of positive, a lot of really true statements, and that is farmers work very hard, very long hours, and that's very, very true. Um, A few days after that, I had a guy deliver hay for me, and I knew he owned or he had chicken houses that he grew chickens for one of the big processors. And I asked him about it. And uh, I said, well, why do you think Andy would say that that, that movie was uh, does not represent Mississippi Ag? He said, he said that movie represent, he, he, had, he had already seen the movie. And he said that movie is very much like what it's like for chicken process, for chicken growers. And I said, well, why do you think he would say that? He said, because number number one, He's never worked for Sanderson Farms as a chicken grower. And number two, he's been paid off. One of the two. He said, because it's, it's not that way. So, but, uh, you know, I would like to give a, a good call out to a couple of other very good documentaries I've seen recently. Mm-hmm. One of them is uh, The Magic Pill. Is that the Adderall one? I'm no, sorry. that that's take your pills. The Adderall documentary. So magic pill. The, the magic one you're pill. Talking about. Yeah, it, I just saw it uh, last week. A customer mentioned it to me, and um, it's it really talks a lot of, about how to improve your health and quality of life, and it's all about you know they went through and they they uh, they they uh, it's kind of hard to explain. They had a lot of different people with different illnesses. Uh, one was a cancer uh, patient, recently diagnosed cancer, uh, a couple of autism children, um, a lady who had to have two inhalers for her asthma condition, uh, one lady that was uh, concerned and started having dementia, and there's probably others that I can't remember. And they basically went in and threw out all the stuff they had in their cupboards. The processed foods. Yep. Refined stuff. All that. Sugars. All that. And replaced it. And then they taught them how to cook it properly and what, what a healthy meal, healthy diet looked like. Mm-hmm. And then they went back later and interviewed those folks the lady with the cancer had no treatment other than her change in diet, and the cancer was gone in her uh, breast. The One of the autism children, for instance, uh, was not functional at all and could now talk and communicate with no problem. Um, the dementia lady was out riding her bike and just as healthy looking and happy. Uh, did not feel defeated. Um, which, what was one of the other ones? Oh, the lady with the asthma. Those things are gone. She she never carries an uh, inhaler with her anywhere and just on top of the world. Just mm-hmm. really, really happy. 
uh, you know, it's now is all this that goes on with Netflix 100%? No. Probably not. I've seen some that are total. They've got to be, somebody was paid off or yeah. just totally misinformed. Um, I forget the um, vegan one that was out. Um, but it was bad. It, it There's such a, a shift lately. Uh, what the health that was what it was and it's taken a lot of criticism for it's just it's poor information um you know stuff like saying that like meat you know is is cancerous and all this kind of stuff which there's you know a new shifting where now we're getting more of the actual information where it's those refined products it's those excess amounts of carbohydrates Um, Well, one of the things I think people need to think about is not so much what that label says. Mm -hmm. It is. It's what your body does with it, what it converts it from and to. Mm -hmm. Uh, To me, that's a lot of what kind of made sense from the the magic pill uh, for me is, you know, it may say it's low fat, but it's full of carbs. And when your body takes it, your body's going to burn two kinds of fat, either the good natural fats or the carb that turns into fat it's, it's only going to do one and it's going to store the other one and typically it's going to burn the good one and store the bad one well most of this low fat stuff that people are eating out of the boxes and cans and and stuff is uh is is the carb turns into carbs and then turns into fat that's stored in your system yeah they had a customer tell me the other day through email that uh, she's actually married to a fella from uh, Holland, and she's is visited with him to you know his family over there uh, on numerous occasions, and that high fructose corn syrup is banned in Europe. Good for them, as well as GMO products. I had no idea about that. She said things like Heinz ketchup. Uh, they're still sold over there, but they have an alternative instead of the high fructose corn syrup. And if you buy organic Heinz here, it would taste very similar to what you would get there. Mm. But people, you know, people are just really, really busy. They take the easy way. Um, you know, instead of uh, Michael Pollan, you know, he talks about, you know, a meal should be more than just grab and go. It ought to be an opportunity to uh, spend time with family or friends and a fellowship kind of deal instead of a rush, get it done thing, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty true. Two other movies real quick, and I'll, sure. I'll move on to something different based on what you want to do. Wendell Berry, a wonderful author, farmer up in Kentucky. He's got a new uh, documentary out on him called uh, Look and See. It talks a lot about how uh, farming and all used to be and how it's grown or moved away from being a, a you know a, a farm serving its community and where now it's you know your food comes from whoever or wherever it's most of it's not local anymore and that's that's a lot of what we're we're about is our local farm serving our local community mm-hmm. and all that money goes right back in the community um what was the third one oh sustainable and it's about farms and people in our country that are trying to uh, have a positive impact and changing it to where it is more of a back to the thinking local, 
uh, local farms serving their local communities. Mm-hmm. So you think that's what the move is to get more people, uh, more of these independent localized farms operational to serve local communities instead of these giant corporations who Absolutely. are almost like, I'm not going to say, you know, they're putting these people to work in such a way that they're just producing mass amounts of quantity versus quality to meet the demands of what Walmart needs or what, you know, major chain X, Y, Z or whatever, as opposed to the, the sustainable way probably takes a smaller scale. There's got to, there's probably a point. I don't know. What's the biggest farms that you've seen that are sustainable, good, ethical, you know, grass fed stuff, pasteurized stuff, you know, on a big scale, a pretty big scale. Oh, the White Oak Pastures is a, is a huge business. I mean, it's huge. He has 2,900 acres. I mean, it's big. I mean, you know, he's doing beef, pork, chicken, eggs. Uh, I mean, he's, he's got, gosh, a lot of different versions of type of fowl. I mean, from not just the regular white Cornish cross chickens that they're processing, but guinea and duck and a lot of different kind of, I mean, they're very diversified. Um, you know how big of a team they, he, he, yeah, we had our grass fed conference there was in, uh, April of 16. Mm Mm-hmm. And he had like a hundred people. Almost everybody in the county worked for him. Oh wow! I mean, he's done. Will Harris has done a lot of really remarkable things uh, in reviving that county. Mm-hmm. So that land has been in his family since before the Civil War. Mm. And um, yeah, he's done a lot of really nice things. His farm is uh, White Oak Pastures. They have counted when we were there in sixteen. They told us that they had counted up to seventy ish golden eagles on his farm they're coming there they like chicken too (laughs) (laughs) so obviously you can't shoot them so he's made a business out of it people to come in photographer photograph the the eagles and stay in the cabins on that they built to to rent out and eat in his restaurant on, on the farm that is quite a that's an entrepreneur right that's there. an entrepreneur that's brilliant you know it's like duh and his name's will harris will harris white oak pastures we'll have to uh do an email correspondence i've got i'm kind of writing down all these things but what we need to give you know i'll put show notes so we give credit and links to all these people you yeah. know yeah to send people you know so they can uh, see all this stuff in action that's you know awesome. there, there's a there's 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 a lot of different ones i mean seven sons has done a up in roanoke indiana has done a remarkable you know my website is powered by a program that they developed to run their farm and then they have now uh branched it out as a part of their business and as an enterprise of their farm uh you know and they've got part of their family who was techie driven is it runs that's their part of the farm business that they do and they handle wow it's pretty cool so if let's let's go through your process if i was a consumer that had no experience with nature gourmet farm uh, I mean, you've got it set up through a website that runs very smoothly. You've got your inventory, you know, out there, and it's very easy for people to go in. So just kind of run through and give somebody, if you were trying to pitch it to a person who who never bought from a local farm before. Well, the first thing I would suggest is to uh, 
uh, Google because we use uh, Google reviews, mm-hmm. and you, you put in Nature's Gourmet Farm, and you'll see uh, a site, uh, you know, a bunch of different things on us will come up. And over on the right side will be a picture and an opportunity to read the reviews that people have typed in uh, about our farm and our experience. Uh, that's where I would start. And then, you know, then you go to the homepage, and there's uh, three little things you can find out. We try to be very, very transparent. We want people to know exactly what we do, how we do it, who we are. Um, you know, when you buy from us, uh, you know, trust is a big deal, and we don't take that lightly. We want to people to understand that, you know, what we write on our website about our product and who we are is – who we are it's what we do we tell you exactly how we do things and why we do it and we encourage folks to visit typically if they come and visit they they buy and they're a good customer for a long time mm-hmm. um uh, you know we're we're pretty authentic about what we what we try to be and honest mm-hmm. um but on our homepage, uh you can uh, see resources and uh, it'll tell you about where you can read about our products, whether it be the beef, the pork, the chicken. Uh, I haven't put the eggs on there. I can't remember to – I just need to remember to do that. But uh, we also give you resources like uh, how do you – may want to have your beef processed, uh, a cut sheet for the beef and the pork. Uh, if you're looking to buy a half or a whole kind of animal, um, to, to actually place an order, you need to sign up as a customer. You uh, pick a delivery location, a pickup location, and we've got two in Hattiesburg, Picayune, and Gulfport, and um, and then place select, go and shop and select the items that you want to uh, to buy. Mm-hmm. The uh, if it says out of stock, it's because there's nothing there. Uh, we've sold out. Um, if there's in, if there's inventory, then it'll let you. Select however many pieces or whatever you want. You can buy as little as one steak or 10 pounds of ground beef or one pork chop, a pack of uh, sausage, a link or patty, um, a dozen eggs. Lard, you'll do whole chickens. Yep. Yep. Whole inventory. Yep. Chickens right now is is really, really tight. Uh, We have sold 100% pre-sold everything so it really does not get on the website if it's been pre-sold you know people have been picking it up at the farm and all um i don't know when we'll have chicken that we'll actually put on the website so if they want chicken they need to kind of just send me an email saying we want this many chicken for this month Hmm. and uh basically with the chicken uh we the state a lot will only let us do a thousand chickens a year uh, which is a big sticking point it's not sustainable for folks that want to do chicken but we do that we do it because it helps people can come and get they can get beef pork chicken and eggs instead of just chicken mm-hmm. you know they can get a, a, a good shopping basket and make their trip a little more uh, productive um and we can talk about that thousand thing in a little bit, a little bit deeper. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, then, you know, and then every four weeks, 
we meet people at those pickup locations and uh it's it you know if it can last just a a, a, a few minutes to it can last and we, we you know we catch up on conversation and people ask questions about this or that and and it gives us a time to, and most of them, kind of like yourself, we see pretty much every month. Mm-hmm. And that's what we like. We like, you know, everybody buys just the, just what they need for the next month each time and pick up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you get to actually kind of establish, you know, connections, good, mm-hmm. good report with people. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we're very sensitive to, to be on time. And to have your order there with us, we we try to make sure that uh, you know it's pre-packed and it's got your name on it, and we've checked to make sure it's right. We can still make mistakes, probably do, and um, but you know all we got to do is let me know and we'll fix it. Is there any kind of alliance or anything in this particular area about you know or for an like alliance or a group? for farms like what you do or you know have you ever thought of being starting something to educate people in you know regions that are a little bit farther out so that they can serve their areas or something like that um i've had a lot of people a lot of folks come to and want to do what we're doing Mm -hmm. um there's a few that'll pick it up and maybe do a little bit there's uh there's one that's out from um kind of between laurel and around heidelberg area um, uh, there's a guy that's, uh, up north of Jackson that's wanting to do this. Um, and there may be others that we've talked to that we just don't know that they've actually started. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we, we, I believe there's a lot of people who would be buying more of our product with if it was available closer to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we try to help anybody who wants to get in it. This, you know, competition is not a problem. I think there's plenty of folks that would buy the product if it was more available. You know, I don't look at other f- folks like me as, as competition. I look at them as a support mm-hmm. and all of us together, you know, the pie is not this size. The pie is, is big. The pie is, a, is the 96% right now that's not buying grass-fed beef, grass-finished beef. It's, uh, it's the ones that just don't know the value of our product from a health perspective or just quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lady I just came from, her, her sister-in-law said, you know, after trying our product that she can't eat the Walmart beef anymore. That was her words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just a different experience altogether. Altogether different. Mm -hmm. And she hadn't even met me. Mm -hmm. She hadn't seen the farm, you know, and, and, and what we do. So, yeah. So now I know there's, there's a lot of politics that go into what you do as well. And I mean, how, what are the constraints, how easy or or how well does our state in particular have it for guys like you to expand better upon your business? That's a loaded, 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 loaded question. Never in my life would I have ever thought 
this would be so political as it is. I would also say that most of the folks who buy my product aren't buying, and I'll just use chicken, for example, aren't buying from Sanderson Farms, as an example, and vice versa. Most of the people that are buying a cheaper product aren't going to buy my product because of a price standpoint. In Mississippi, our laws only allow folks like me to do a thousand chickens a year with on-farm processing. There's 40 other states that allow their farmers to do up to 20,000 a year with on-farm processing. Frankly, I believe there's plenty of room for both methods, production models, to operate. It's not us or them. It should be or their model or, or my model. It should be both models. In Mississippi, there's probably, that I know of, there's three or four others doing what I do. One of them quit this year, and three of them are struggling. In North Carolina, they have a very proactive um, ag department. They've got uh, a group that encourages new farmers to go into farming, new folks to go into farming. They also try to uh, encourage existing farms to diversify and to add other things. Then they got a group that kind of works that middle piece, the logistics, the processing, uh, cold storage, some of those kind of things to help farms. And then they've got a, the last group that uh, uh, engages with chefs at restaurants, grocery stores, and consumers about the value of eating from the farm. There's over a thousand farms in North Carolina that do what I do. Their ag economy, now I'm going to use 2016 numbers, their ag economy in 2016 was $85 billion. That is $1.5 billion per square mile in that state. In Mississippi, our ag economy was $7.35 billion, or $150,000 per square mile. 10%. 10%. And what I find in Mississippi is our ag department in the past, hopefully our new ag commissioner is going to be different than the previous one, has been favored to... Um, the large processors, chicken processors, and large agribusiness folks. They don't know how many small farms they have. Our previous commissioner, I tried to speak with her on numerous occasions about issues and try to help. How can we change this? She would never listen it wouldn't give me hardly a minute of her time. Um, very reactive in that 
you know, we spend all of our time writing people up instead of proactive. If, oh, by the way, when North Carolina is encouraging people to farm, they're doing workshops across the state to teach them what they need to do, how they need to do it, what the state requires. Very proactive. And they've got over a 1,000. The last factory processing plant that Sanderson opened was in North Carolina in 2017. They do one and a quarter million chickens a week in that factory. To me, that's a pretty good example how their model and my and the small farm model can work together. A state with twenty a hundred thousand, I'm sorry, a state with a thousand farms that can do twenty thousand a year each farm versus the Sanderson plant. But our politicians here have fought it. I've worked for two years trying to get the law changed with our ad committee, Senate ad committee. This year, it went, it passed, the bill passed 100% unanimous in Senate ad committee. It was double referred by our, our uh, lieutenant governor to the public health committee. Cindy Hyde Smith, as ad commissioner, along with the poultry lobbyist, called Senator Kirby, chairman of the Public Health Committee, and said, kill the bill. And he did. Just like that. Just like that. Which is a testament to how poorly the system goes sometimes. And now she's running for Cochran's spot. Hmm. <laughs> Drink to that. Uh... Wow. So what is their, how do they justify, what's the rationale to do something like cap a guy like you on how much you, do they think that it's just going to, if you put too many animals in the equation that things are going to get inherently unsanitary or something? <laughs> it don't if you teach them what's required. Yeah. And, and, you know, what you need to do to raise a quality product. You can go to North Carolina's website. And it's got everything there that you need. It tells you exactly what the regulation is for doing. There's nine. There's two on the do twenty thousand chickens. There's two pages, nine little steps, not big steps, little steps that you have to do as a farm. They also give uh, a sheet on best practices for processing, and it includes things in there that's very important, like sanitary, and Temperature to cool the chicken down within so many hours based on the weight of the chicken. And um, about five years ago, I called our, this is before I was really smart, I called our uh, meat inspection division and asked them, talked about what I wanted to do. And I said, what do I, what do I need? And this is what, this is what, a, a little over an inch thick? Of, yeah, of stuff you, that somebody you, spent at the copy machine. You look like you're holding about 150 pages of of printer, you know, full sheets, front and back, of documents, words, uh, with ten point font. It's it was. I mean, what do you do? That's what I got in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> Versus two pages, it's nine bullet points. 
Right. Yeah. Seems like they would want to take some cues from that, implement that somehow. Hopefully, uh, you know, uh, our new ad commissioner, um, Senator Hill out of Picayune, uh, was able to encourage him to come visit us. And she and uh, uh, Representative Wilkes and uh, a couple of other folks from the ag department joined him at our farm this past Wednesday. I was uh, very encouraged by the visit. Uh, his wife came as well. She left a vacation, his wife and his two daughters. Um, and, uh, you know, she she knows the value of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. She is a big supporter of what we would do. And when I mentioned Wendell Berry and his documentary, she says, her eyes just lit up and says, well, I've read all of his books. Oh, hey. So, awesome. and that was like 30 of them. Yeah. He wrote 30 books. Jeez. So, I mean, I was really encouraged. You know, so when I'm not there or can get in his ear, uh, he goes home every day. So uh, I was really, really encouraged by the questions he asked and the, the concern he had. And, um, you know, let's, you know, let's see what happens. Yeah. So you're involved in it from the ground up. I mean, you're you're practicing it. You're in the politics of it. You know, maybe that not, was not by choice. Not by choice, probably. But you know, you're a smart enough guy. You you're well read. You you go and you do the research. You know, and you found yourself in a position where you knew you could you could further help the cause in these ways. Trying to influence not only the the political side of things. I mean, but also you know people people need to know. Mm-hmm. People need to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're catching a good wave, I think, where these doc- documentaries on Netflix are becoming a popular thing in a lot of ways. People talk about them yeah. a lot. One of my favorite uh, quotes is actually through uh, uh, Mark Twain. Uh, I got to get it because I can't say it right. Let me just make sure I can do it right. The quote is, it is easier to fool someone than to get, convince them they have been fooled. Mm. And, you know, that's one of the things we struggle with sometimes. But yeah. people are waking up. People are realizing that, you know, hey, this ain't right. Mm-hmm. Something something needs to change here. Yeah. So. So what do you think the, the near future is out, you know, the next five years, the next 10 years for our area? Oh, uh, I think the next year... Let's start with one year. I think that you know there's a lot of opposition to what we do because it, uh, it it's going to put some folks out of their comfort zone. People just and people don't know. But it really you know to really make the change. It's going to take more than just a few farms that says we need to do this, and this is r- the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's going to take consumers stepping up and saying too that you know we need availability. You know. Um, you know, when our local uh, stores have to, if they, they want organic, they got to buy it from out of state. Why would they have to do that? Let's change the rules. Make it to where farms in Mississippi. Brings up a big point. I mentioned that in 2016, uh, Mississippi's ag economy was $7.35 billion. Well, that same year, we imported $8.5 billion worth of food into this state. 
we're not even feeding ourselves. That's low-hanging fruit. What is what is in those packets that people are importing? That's a good place to start and put our people back to work, put our farms back to work. Mm-hmm. You know, you go up and down our back roads and you see all these farms that are abandoned and growing up. People need to be back to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we have a great area to do just that, right? Sure. That's what, that's what, I mean, historically, that's what we... We were. Yeah. That's what we were. Yep. Yeah. Just need a little, little encouragement. That's what I want to see. I want to see people back living on the farm and able to make a living from living on the farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just going to take a lot of re-education probably. And maybe to, in a lot of ways, get people um, accepting and, and desiring that lifestyle again. Well, that, and I think there's a lot of younger folks that would like to do this, but they got to be able to make a living at it. They can't mm-hmm. do it for free. Yeah, that's the hard part. You know, and and if you're, you know, from the processing standpoint, if you're if you're selling a commodity product, it's hard to to make a living at it. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to get to where you're kind of like you can diversify, do some of this, some of this, some of this. And not be so big. We don't want to be so big that you got to have a bunch of employees or any employees, really. Something that me and my wife can do uh, when it comes to chicken processing, make a contract, or or you know expand, expand, uh, you know, and grab a couple other family members, kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, to help us on that one day to do it, um, and help each other, help you know, be a support to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it takes it takes the consumer. You you can't have all production and no no consumption. You got to have the consumption too. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know I think once people realize the health value of eating closer to the farm, the consumption part of it will will happen. Mm-hmm. And direct marketing is the only way that you're going to make enough. To, to want to do it. Yeah. Well, man, Ben, this has been a great conversation. I've learned a lot. I've been just shooting from the hip mostly. Is there anything that I haven't, we haven't discussed, haven't talked about? I'm, I mean, what what's something I haven't asked you? What's something that, you know, people should know or, or something uh, we've kind of glossed over here? Wow. Well, one is our website is naturesgourmetfarm.com. Mm-hmm. That's a real big one. We used to do a good bit with Facebook. Um, we're really not doing as much now with some of the news on Facebook that's been going on. Um, going back to the chicken, for example, when I was trying to work the bill through and help getting support, we had over six thousand people in the state uh, come on our web, on our Facebook page positively for what we do. Not, that does not count all the shares that went on out there in two days. So, you know, people are, are starting to get the message. You know, at least that's what that showed me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, are, are starting to, to put two and two together. And uh, it's kind of like I, I used one time the snowball effect. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're the snowball sitting up at the top of the hill right now. Yeah. It's starting to get just over the edge. And as it picks up momentum going down the hill, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's not going to be enough bend to go around. Yeah. <laughs> so we need more folks doing this. Yeah. And we need more buyers of our product. Yeah. And grow our Mississippi economy. Yeah. So awesome. just uh, – just came from a, a really neat little uh, restaurant, a little, uh, how they call it, grab-and-go type deal uh, from a customer mm-hmm. uh, over over in D'Abraville. Um, her uh, business is called Flourish. Uh, it's real food to help you flourish. Uh, no time to cook. And like I say, it's a grab-and-go. And she is on uh, L-E-M-O-Y-N-E Boulevard. Spell it one more time. L E M O Y N E Lemoyne Boulevard. It's uh, just across from uh, Sacred Heart School. Sacred Heart Church. Yeah, church. Yeah, mm-hmm. Sacred Heart Church. Yep. Yep. Nice. I haven't so, heard that one. So she she like makes healthier based foods. Is oh, it's all it? healthy, all really? uh, organic and all natural, grass fed beef, pork. Yep, absolutely. Wow. See, that's what we're missing around here, or another thing that we're missing around here is, you know, there are days when I do a lot, a lot of cooking. I mean, my Instagram and Facebook feed is just tons of food along with the guitars and the podcasts and all this stuff. And, um, you know, just today I was cooking up a a rump roast from Nature Gourmet Farm. And, you know, I, I don't have a problem with cooking and I have a, you know, a, a, a method that kind of keeps it flowing, you know, you, you learn how to make those things that you really enjoy, whether it's, you know, for me, I like tons of vegetable soups and then tons of meat, whether it's, you know, sirloin steak or a ribeye or the rump roast or whatever. Um, but there are, there are times when there's, I just don't have the time, you know, and I wish I could go to places there is, you know, we have um, a really good Indian restaurant, um, Good Karma, that's just down the road, and that she has a couple other locations, but there's not a lot of places that I could just go to, and I could just get, like, a big thing of vegetables, just, like, stir-fried vegetables that aren't covered in, like, a syrupy, sugary whatever, you know, or just good quality fish, good quality meat, uh, beef, rather, you know, chicken, all that stuff. You know, I feel like uh, there needs to be a couple more places like that, you know. And a lot of people tell me, because I cook so much, that I need to open up one of these places (laughs) and do these kale smoothies (laughs) and the mayonnaise that I make and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, I'm I'm like anybody else who, you know, wants to do healthy related stuff. I don't know what the, the profit is because the profit is based on what the people are thinking, what their demand is, what the consumer wants. So I, that's great to hear that she's out there actually giving it a go. She's giving it a go, and, you know, uh, she uses a lot of our products. She uses some product from a, uh, a really good family up in uh, Loosedale called uh, Sweetgrass Pastures. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're, they're one of them I was thinking about when they're trying to live off the farm. And, you know, with a chicken, they can't, a thousand chickens do not let them support their family without, and they've had to, you know, one of them, the wife has gone back to, to working 
And uh, Nathan has actually uh, worked, starting to work a little bit more off the farm as well. But if they, if the chicken law was changed, that farm could do more chickens and possibly change their whole. And they're a young couple. I mean, they got a child that's, you know, six years old, five or six years old. And, you know, great, great attitude, very positive, very smart people. And, uh, uh, you know, meets the public well. And he's, he's certainly a strong voice for eating healthy. Mm. Uh, that just needs to have his, be able to realize his dream and, and get something for his efforts. Yep. Well, I think we've we've given people a lot of material that that they can go look. Whether it's those documentaries, you can go to your website, which give it give it to folks again one more time is Nature's Gourmet Farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they start if they if they'll Google Nature's Gourmet Farm, you'll see the reviews, and it'll take you a link there where you can go straight to our website. Yeah, it looks like y'all have a five star review. We do like a couple dozen people. Yeah, so it's pretty sweet. And we've only been doing that a uh, short period of time. We try to encourage uh, our customers, you know, if they like our product, to to write a review, even if they don't. I mean, we need to know when we make a mistake. I mean, that's how we get better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, we we are human, so we do make mistakes. Yeah. Well, hey, man, I've, thanks so much for coming on here and, uh, you know, sharing all this knowledge with people and, and for doing what you do. And, uh, you know, I've, I've enjoyed your products immensely and it's great to, to hear that you are, you know, totally in the trenches on it to, uh, try to, you know, help people around here and change the lifestyles. And there's a lot of sick people just like that documentary, whether it's, you know, autism or diabetes or, or cancer, that good, healthy eating. Yeah, what's off? Yeah. Well, my, I mean, my, you know, uh, Mississippi is number two in Autism, not in autism, but uh, uh, diabetes and obesity, mm-hmm. right behind West Virginia as per capita number of people per capita, and uh, that's that's not one of those places we need to be. No, and uh, you know most of it is is diet related. Yeah. So. Yep. Well, cool. Take right. charge. Take, Take charge. charge. Go, people. Go find out more. Uh, so that's it. Ben from Nature Nature Gourmet Farms. Nature's Gourmet Nature's Farm. Gourmet Farm. We thank you so much for having us. Opportunity to do this. Never done this before. Yeah. And, You're a natural. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. Kind of nervous. But uh, we certainly appreciate your business as well. Absolutely, man. Thanks for coming.